The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. Together, we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And as today's show is meant to be an interactive discussion, if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And Facebook users, you can also message us during the show from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner, and your anonymity is always respected. So addiction has a way of eroding confidence. Inactive addiction, although our intentions may have been good, we were often unable to follow through on our commitments. Fortunately, we regained the ability to be trustworthy and to learn to trust others. So today we want to share with you how we moved from dropping the ball all too often to being a reliable partner through the spiritual principle of trust. We'll begin by sharing what it was like in our own lives to not be able to follow through as much as we would have liked and then move into the solution of the spiritual principle of trust. After the break, we'll share exactly how we used trust to rebuild relationships and to learn to rely on ourselves again, too. So, Lonnie, what do you recall about that uh, pre-recovery time unreliability? Well, you know, I remember growing up, I always wanted to be a good girl. You know, that's what got praised in my family, and that's what I got patted on the head for. And and part of that was being trustworthy. And so I tried really, really hard to show up the way that I was expected to show up. And and that progressed fairly well for um, my my early youth until alcohol got involved. And once alcohol got involved, I still had these good intentions, you know, I still had had intentions of showing up the way that I had been showing up. But, you know, alcohol and, and drugs kind of interfere with my ability to do that. I almost had the exact opposite of the intention, I think. I don't know uh, if it's because I'm an introvert or just however I'm wired. I, I uh, actively avoided um commitments, entanglements is how they felt to me, actually. You know, if, if, if someone's trying to 
uh, asked me, do you want to go do this? Do you want to go do that? I, I generally tried to keep things um, off of my plate as much as possible. Uh, I know that that is a way of not being reliable because I, I'm not reliable participant in things. And that's what comes to mind first for me. And, you know, that, that brings up a good point because my experience um, in growing up had a lot of codependency modeled and enculturated in my uh, experiences. And so, you know, I was somebody, same exact question, do you want to do this? How about that? And it wasn't that I was jumping at the chance, but I didn't want to disappoint somebody. And so I would say yes. And so intentions came in, you know, I had the intention not to disappoint them, not the intention to show up the way they wanted me to. I just didn't want to disappoint them. And so, you know, I, I learned that I was uh, selling myself short and throwing myself under the bus by the choices that I made because it was based on the wrong kind of an intention. I worked for much of my life, and, and I, I guess if I think back, um, this, this did uh, begin to shift when I got into recovery, but I worked for most of my life to minimize social commitments uh, as well. For me, a, it used to be more so, a little bit now, but not nearly as much. Kind of a nightmare scenario would be to be trapped, say, at somebody's house at some social event where I could not leave. And I and I was done, you know, internally, emotionally, I was done and I needed to move on. I think I had a lot of those kinds of experiences as a kid, as a shy kid, as a kid with a limited, um, you know, I had a limited faculty for uh, engagement socially, literally just as the way that my mind is wired. And as an as an introvert, I wear out uh, fairly quickly. And so I worked to minimize social commitments. And again, in that way, I think it was, I was an unre unreliable um, partner in doing stuff in general. You know, I spent a lot of my young adulthood believing this idea that intentions are what count. And I was stunned one time when one of my bosses told me uh, a quote um, it said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, you know, and that that just set me on my ear because I'm like, oh, you know, I have all these intentions and I'm not following through on them. And some of them were professional commitments and some of them were personal commitments and, and other things. But I didn't understand that um, the, the two needed to go hand in hand, that intentions and behavior had to match and that I had um, then the pendulum swung the other direction where it wasn't just my intentions, but I had, uh, I had this belief system that only be my behavior counts. doesn't matter what I'm thinking or what I'm feeling. It's only what I do that counts. Yeah. That's a nasty trap too. Cause that, that can get bad over time. I'm familiar with that one as well. Also, I have to say, I mean, that, and maybe I should have began by stating the obvious. I was often hung over and, you know, when hung over, I, I was not, um, doing the best job that I could do, say, in, in my office at work and not uh, showing up as, as best I could with family and friends as well. I mean, so not only was I sort of naturally wired for, um, you know, I had limitations as far as social engagement and, and a, a tendency to um, opt out of things. Uh, add to that um, being hungover, uh, most of the time during at least the early part of the day, um, that made it even worse. 
You know, and I had this belief that if I could manage well, and it talks about this in the recovery literature, if I could but manage well, my life would be fine. And that included managing the hangovers. You know, if I could find the magic formula the next morning, the right thing to have for breakfast, the right amount of liquids, you know, the right amount of analgesics, eye drops, whatever it was that it was going to take to keep me on my feet, if I could but manage well, that my life would be fine. And that that wasn't the case because inside there was this fear that um, it was a nameless fear that was there all the time. And it began to manifest in my behavior. Um, I lost the ability to trust others as I lost confidence in myself and my ability to show up. Yeah, as you described uh, that list of remedies, I'm thinking all of the above. <laughs> you know, it's some, some kind of uh, aspirin, water, food, uh, I remember at some point realizing that, you know, if I, if I drank a pint of orange juice as the last thing in the evening, that it tended to go a little bit better in the morning. So, yeah, I mean, all those uh, hangover remedy kinds of stuff. And then, and then there would be the new brand of vodka that reportedly, um, you know, didn't have the impurities that caused hangovers. And, of course, I believed it and bought the new brand. That was a lie. It, it had alcohol in it, and, th and that's what causes hangovers, as far as I know. I remember that um, my default answer to the question, do you want to, was no. I, I didn't even need to know what it was you were inviting me to, to know that the answer was probably going to be no. Um, that's changed for me in recovery, because now, at least, uh, I listen to what it is. I really consider it, and I say yes to many things, but that was, um, it was, it was almost a running joke internally for me. Uh, Hey Dan, do you want to know, uh, what is it that you have in mind? <laughs> Let me get the no out there first and I'll amend that later. And so as things progressed for me, um, I, I trusted fewer and fewer people because I assumed they were like me, unable to show up. If they acted like me, if they drank like me, if they behaved like me, they probably aren't any more trustworthy than I am. And that's called projection. And so I started projecting on my world around me. And as, as the, the malady progressed, I became more fearful and less uh, trusting of the world. And so I put up a wall and I became um, standoffish and isolated and alone. And that was really the way that progressed for me. I remember at the very end, you know, in the last couple of months of my uh, drinking career, that got really, really bad for me. Um, that uh, it was really a it was a level of mistrust that I would have to call paranoia. I mean, I was really getting um, it was becoming a, a genuine, a genuine um, mental illness. I think alcohol driven. Uh, that I had the distinct feeling. I remember walking down the sidewalk in my little southern town, safe as town that there ever was during the day, feeling like I was going to get jumped or something. Someone was going to physically attack me. That was insane. I mean, there's no other word for it. That was completely insane. There is no way that that's something that I needed to be concerned about. But my lack of trust of just the world. I mean, this sense of isolation, world shrank and shrank to the point where that was my experience. And I, I knew that that was one of the clues that actually got through to me when I knew that there's something very bad going on here.
I had a very similar experience, only it wasn't about uh, uh, physical safety. It was about feeling like everybody's out to get me, uh, to sabotage me, you know, mind games and things like that. And I was unable to see that. And I agree that it's a progressive part of the disorder. And, um, you know, and I had an intervention at work, you know, my boss, because I wrote a letter <laughs> to my boss about how I was feeling and what was going on and, and what I thought they were going to do to me and all this kind of stuff. And she recognized it for the problem that it was and ha had an intervention, but um, I couldn't see it. Did that, was that helpful? Did that work? Was that a turning point for you or was it just a step on, on the road? Well, it was a turning point in the fact that it alerted me that that something was wrong. And it got me into my first psychologist, which then got me into my first recovery program, which then got me on the path that I'm on today. Great. So sort of the beginning of uh, the new way. Yes. Cool. Um, I, I, I drank at home a lot. I've shared that before. And I'm, and I'm grateful that I was a stay at home, not a drink and fight kind of person, not a drink and get in the car kind of person, but a drink and stay at home kind of person. And so I just, you know, that, that, um, that really multiplied my general desire to be a homebody anyway, and, and made it even worse as far as participating in things out in the world. Um, it was just more reason just to stay home was to stay home and drink. And so I was just not a reliable participant in stuff in general, you know, family things, um, going out and doing something as a family. I was not a good partner that way. Well, so now that we know about these challenges of being less than reliable, what is the solution? In unity, we affirm that our lives are governed by spiritual principles and that by becoming aware of those principles, we have an opportunity to co-create the life that we want to live. And this is the core concept in unity. And unity co-founder Charles Fillmore even defined God as, quote, principle, uppercase P. Uh, unity's 12 powers framework is an example of a set of core spiritual principles that we can employ to change our lives. The spiritual principle that allows us to be a reliable friend, family member, co-worker, and or partner is trust. And that's what we want to focus on today. So what does it mean when we talk about the spiritual principle of trust? What does trust look like? Is it the same as faith or confidence or belief? And how do we know it when we see it? Dan, what's trust look like to you? The first thing that comes to mind is it looks like feeling genuinely comfortable that I will do what I said that I would do. You know, not worrying about um, making a commitment, not worrying about uh, agreeing to be somewhere or to do something, to feel really good and comfortable with, uh, you know, I said I would, I would meet you at the store at 3, I feel good that that's exactly what I'm going to do. I don't have to worry, well, what if I don't feel like it? What if I've been drinking too much? What, what about that? Um, trust looks like being comfortable that I will show up where I said I would show up. You know, I did not have a clue as to what the word trust meant whenever I arrived in in the 12-step uh, programs. I, I had, um, as I mentioned, all that mistrust of other people, and I'd had people say things to me like, well, you can trust me, can't you? You know, you trust me, don't you? And look me in the eye, and I feel like they're <laughs> slick and, and slimy, and I, but I'm afraid to say no, you know? And so I would say yes. And so I had this real confused 
uh, viewpoint about what is trust. You know, what's what's I didn't have a definition. If if I knew you, if I knew you X amount of time, if you were in my family circle or if you were in my circle of friends or, uh, you know, whatever, I had all of these arbitrary definitions for how would I know if I could trust you? And it took me a long time to develop an internal um, compass point, if you will. And I had to start with exactly what you're talking about. Does somebody's words and actions match? You know, do they show up the way they say they're going to show up? And and find out then that, okay, that's my first screening criteria. It was really artificial because my internal system was not functional at that point. I think I've mentioned before that I, uh, in the late 80s, I got a Volkswagen Beetle. I remember because the Volkswagen Beetle was in 1970, and I noticed that it was old enough to vote by the time I got a hold of it. And what happened was that when I got a Volkswagen Beetle, all these other people in town also, at the same time, like that day, also got a Volkswagen Beetle because I kept seeing them everywhere I went. It was amazing. I was a trendsetter. Uh, I tell that story because it's silly. It's it's a it's a um, it's a story of the shift in what I was noticing, not the shift in what uh, was happening around me. And I felt the same way as that uh, with others when I feel comfortable that I'm going to show up and do what I said I can do, just like you were sharing about projecting. I have that. It's a sort of positive projection. I generally think that other people are going to show up and do what they said they would do unless they demonstrate otherwise, you know, and then I, I'll, I'll note that about that person. But in general, being trustworthy myself, feeling comfortable that I'm trustworthy, immediately translate into generally feeling uh, trusting toward others, um, you know, as a default. Uh, of course, if if something happens and it's and it's clear that uh, I can't trust someone, then I, then I'll bear that in mind the next time I interact with them. But in general, with people in the world, uh, I feel like that they are going to do what they said they're going to do. I had to be led by the hand through these processes. It was really a relearning experience for me because I had so much fear around people. Uh, in general and around the experiences I had had in the past. And one of the experiences that I had was that um, I was I was told I could make a choice as to whether to trust somebody or not. Now, the criteria I used was my own, but the, the, um, the basis of making that trust, uh, that choice about trusting, could I could either choose to be fearful and keep people at an arm's distance, or I could make a choice to drop my wall and let them in. And for me, as an all-or-none black-and-white thinker, at that point in time, I got hurt a few times and you know swung back and forth between the two. But gradually over time, each one situation at a time, however people showed up, however I showed up, this evidence started accumulating that people were in general trustworthy. And I learned that when I did those same things, when I tried to make my words and actions match, uh, when I tried to be aware of my motives, that uh, I too was trustworthy. That reminds me of my favorite joke about black and white thinking. It's like, hey man, you're either doing black and white thinking or you're not. There's no middle ground. <laughs> That's silly. Uh, another another way that trust looks uh, for me is simple things like that the sun will come up, that the, that the clouds will part if it's a cloudy day, or that if it's raining that the rain will stop, or that if it's dry that at some point it's going to rain. It, it's a simple, um, again, inner inner sense of confidence that 
um, the world is okay and and things happen in cycles and even if there's what i decide is too much rain uh, for one period of time, and I recognize that's completely subjective, that there'll be another time when it's dry and everything balances out and the plants grow and they're happy and the sun comes up every day. It hasn't happened yet that there's been a day that the sun didn't come up. And so being able to look at the natural world and just trust it to be what it is, um, is one way that, uh, one, one way that trust looks to me. You know, I learned a lot by watching uh, animals, pets. You know, the the pets are absolutely confident that there's going to be dinner sometime tonight. You know, I walk in the door and they are ready for dinner. Um, I they curl up. It's cat. You know, they curl up in my lap and there's there's no um, hesitancy on their part. There's no fear. They're going to be taken care of. They're going to be fed. They sit at the back door with great confidence that it's going to open after I have let them out for a while. And I, I watch them and I ponder about this. How do they learn trust? Or is that something that, but yet at the same time, if there's a loud noise at a moment's notice, they're skittish, they're gone. You know, so they have this finely tuned ability to to react to uh, the perception of a lack of trust, but yet they seem to live in trust. And and that, I don't know if you call it faith, I don't know if you call it trust, or if it's instinct, or what it is, but I I, I learn from watching small children and, um, and animals, you know, as to how does this thing operate in the world? What would normal look like? Yeah, I love that. And uh, we have a new cat as of a couple days ago, and she's adorable. And uh, yeah, I get that same sense. Being a new cat, she, um, what what I call hides a lot, which just means she's just getting used to everything. But not, not an hour ago, she's walking all over me as I sat in my chair. I think she was interested in the food on my plate. I don't know her well enough to know what's going on yet. But yes, they the animals seem to hold things loosely and their default um, relationship with the world is that it's okay and everything's going to be all right. I mean, unless there is a loud noise or something that's directly frightening that they react to, but then they let go of that after a while. I think they're, they're great examples. I know for me, and you mentioned the word that part of the trust dips into, into faith. And the faith is that just in general, that life it is good. Life will be good. Life is good. And that I can rely on that. And that, that feels like more, it feels a little bit different than a trusting. I'm talking about, you know, trusting someone's going to do this or someone's going to do that. It feels more, it feels broader and it's more spiritual. It's a faith that, that life is good and, and everything's okay. You know, I, uh, for a long time pondered, is this a progression you know, do I start with observation and then I, I learn to trust and after I trust for a while because of consistency, people or me show up the same way every time, okay, then I can count on that. Um, you know, then does that move into faith um, and, and I, or, or is that just a belief? And, and those are things that I've, I've decided that doesn't make a lot of difference because what it has to do is what with my consciousness and the way that I show up in the world, how I approach people, how I respond to people, how I respond to these situations in my life. And so um, I, I know that my process started with not trusting. And when I was in enough pain, the intervention I told you about, to follow directions 
and go to the next step on the path, which was to go see this psychologist, et cetera, and write down, you know, I had to have, I don't know if it was pain that caused me to take that first step or desperation or hopelessness, but all of those things seemed to start me on the path of being willing enough to take some action. And I think for me that, uh, that, that trust moves into faith when I start taking action. Yeah, I can see that, and and I'm I'm realizing that part of what uh, the recovery journey, one of the gifts of the of the recovery journey, is that um, trust looks like that that issues will have resolutions, whether I can see how or not. Uh, in the past, I used to be, uh, I used to feel very strongly that if I couldn't see how it was going to work, then I didn't trust that it was going to work at all. I, I needed uh, direct evidence. I needed to feel some sense of control or influence over it. And, and of course, this is just one of those many forms of fear that we talk about. I was afraid that it wasn't going to work out. And so my response was, well, I'm going to figure out if it's going to or not so that I don't make the mistake of um, relying on it and then finding that it's not coming through. But in recovery, I find that I, I trust that things will uh, resolve whether I can see how or not. I don't need to see step 10. I'm okay even if I can just see step one, honestly. Maybe maybe I think I know what two and three are, but I'm much more comfortable um, moving ahead in life in general, uh, just based on instinct. And again, we're, we're getting into what I would have to call faith, you know, faith that um, those other steps will appear. I don't need to know what they are. It's okay. And I think for me that it's um, being pointed in a general direction. Think of a compass. You know, I was going, you know, west my whole life when I needed to be going east. And, and so having faith or trust in a set of pr- principles, a group of people, uh, some ideas, um, that I that I had not yet tested, that said, no, go this way. Try this. You've never tried this. Why don't you try this? You know, got me started on that path. And um, it took a long time to develop confidence that it was going to work. They said it was going to work. I didn't believe it was going to work, but I was willing to do that anyway. And after a while, I got to be a believer. You know, oh, yeah, I have faith. If you just do this, it's going to work. It's going to be fine. It's all going to turn out okay. Yeah, it's that sense of trust the process. Uh, one way that one way that trust looks for me is what I would call trust in universal principle. So for for us in unity or in any new thought uh, tradition, we'd understand universal principle is a way of describing God. So that that just means that trust God as I understand God to be. Um, that's has become a, a an important way, a major way that trust shows up in my life is that I have a conception of the divine and and it, my interaction with it, and I trust that in the world. But let's hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you as we continue the conversation. The phone number to dial is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Meditation Minute with Paulette Pipe. So as always, we begin our time of meditation by first taking account of what we're feeling, those sights that we're seeing, those sensations that we're experiencing, and each breath that we breathe. Notice where in your body you're experiencing those sensations. Let your breathing find its own rhythm. As we begin the process of letting go, the process of relaxation. Remember why we're here. To hear more from Paulette Pipe and Touching the Stillness, visit the archives section at unityonlineradio.org. This is Biotech. The year is 2149, and the world has become a very dark place. People have augmented their bodies with technology to the point they are no longer human. Yet one brilliant and determined scientist wants to bring the human spirit back to this bleak planet and begins to develop 12 divine attributes that were born in her. Check out the Biotech comic book series from Unity Books, available at biotechcomic.com. Sometimes you might feel so alone with your problems, you don't know where to turn. We invite you to call Silent Unity, the 24-7 prayer ministry, where someone is waiting to pray with you every day at any hour. Listen and relax as you hear their beautiful words affirm the highest and best outcome for you and those you love. No matter what's going on in your life, Silent Unity is always standing by. Call today, 816-969-2000. More and more people are interested in a vegan lifestyle, and the numbers continue to grow. Join Victoria Moran every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central for Main Street Vegan and learn how to make the shift to help animals and the planet. Each week, Victoria shares recipes, health tips, and interviews with celebrity vegans, experts, and activists. Learn how to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Right here on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were discussing the various ways we've dropped the ball in the past and the spiritual principle of trust. 
So Lonnie, now that we know the challenge is uh, being less than reliable and the solution is trust, how exactly can we use trust to come to become a reliable friend, coworker, family member, and to trust others too? You know, there was a real turning point for me when I read this sentence in the literature that said, quite as important was the discovery that spiritual principles would solve all my problems. Because I have, I was familiar with the first step. I'm powerless. Okay, great. I'm powerless. Now what? You know, my life is unmanageable. Well, now what? That doesn't tell me what to do. You know, and, and when I learned that spiritual principles had the potential to solve all my problems, that was the answer for me. And the spiritual principle of the first step uh, it was honesty. And I had to ask, what was a spiritual principle? And we talk about these all the time. And they're ways of showing up in the world. They're ways of thinking and of believing and behaving that help us move toward our highest potential. And so when I was told I had to start practicing spiritual principles in order to get better, um, that's, that's what I did. You know, I had been a control freak trying to control everything, but I was trying to control the outcomes. I wasn't trying to control the process. And the process was for me to practice honesty. I think one way for me, how, how did trust lead to trustworthiness and trusting others is that I, that I trusted the recovery process early on for whatever reason. Uh, I, I actually did not uh, have a lot of conflict around that. I knew people who did, who were kind of fighting uh, the whole thing. It, it just seems that um, there, there are always some uh, for whom, you know, a 12-step uh, recovery just for whatever reason is not working for them. But I was always open to it from the beginning, and I'm grateful for that. And so that is a way that I use trust, trusting the process of recovery, uh, putting one foot in front of the other, you know, the steps and the, and the principles and, and the actions that we take showing up at meetings, et cetera. You know, I um, after I worked on honesty for a while, I learned that there were multiple, multiple layers to it. It wasn't just my behavior, what I said and what I did. I had to get in alignment with my um, with my intentions or my motives. You know, I could I could show up well in the world and be resentful about it because it wasn't you know my idea or the way that I wanted to do things. Uh, and then I found out underneath that, that I had belief systems that were driving my thinking, that were driving my behavior, that when when I was out of alignment anywhere in that process, that I had challenges. And so one of the things that I had to work on was each one of those layers. You know, what's my motive? I want to do this. I, I feel like doing that. What's my motive? Why am I in conflict? I, I had a lot of internal work to do around this. Another way that comes to mind that uh, trust helped me is that I not, not only trusted the steps and the principles um, of recovery, but I learned after some time that I trusted the other people who had been down that road. And that's a, that's a different kind of um, animal to me than, you know, trusting a process, trusting steps, I think for me is easier than uh, trusting the other people who are um, practicing those principles. But I found that by beginning, uh, by trusting the, the process and, and taking, taking people's word for it that, you know, this has worked. This has worked in the past for many years. It has worked for the people that I see around me, that over time I became able to trust those people as well. And, and so that was helpful 
uh, a helpful way for me to become more trustworthy. Um, almost, you know, we, we talk about guilt by association, but trustworthiness by associating with people who were also trustworthy. You know, I sort of learned to be that way um, as people were modeling it. And I, I'm not even saying that they were doing that on purpose. That's just the way they were. And I was able to uh, assimilate in that group. And I'm grateful for that. You know, modeling is so important. You know, how we show up in the world and how we how we talk about everything. Um, and, and that was so important to me when I started looking for a guide through this process. And that guide was to become my sponsor. And what I looked for was somebody who modeled these principles, who he behaved in a way that I considered to be trustworthy and ethical, and that could explain to me when um, when she did or said something that was contrary to what my um, enculturation or logic would say would have been the right answer. She could say, no, this is the way the principle works. You know, if you're based on principle, not personalities, that was always the one that came up for me. You know, it's not because so-and-so said this, it's because the principle is that. And she would lay that out and explain that to me. And it was incredibly important to me to be able to understand and sort these pieces out about, about how do I know when I'm operating out of principle or out of personality? Because that feeds into, I found out for me, that feeds into how trustworthy I am. For me, part of being trustworthy is, is the willingness to show up and, and to engage uh, with whatever is going on. And that takes effort uh, for me. Um, and again, maybe as an introvert, it takes uh, more effort than it might for others. I'm not sure. But I know that subjectively, it certainly feels like or felt like uh, it took a lot of effort. That's not so much the case anymore. And I found that sim by simply being in recovery, a lot of energy uh, was released. I, you know, just simply all the energy that went into um, everything related to alcohol, um, you know, getting, planning, drinking, getting over drinking, thinking about drinking, all of that taken away. All of a sudden, I had a lot of just, you know, what I would have to call life energy available. And so it became a lot easier to show up and to engage because I had more energy for it. Um, I also uh, recall about that, that uh, I realized at some point that I, I needed to make some conscious choices about how I was going to use this energy. Um, and I chose to use it to engage more in the recovery program and to just practice the principles. You know, we, we, we talk about practicing these principles in all our affairs and that takes energy. And, uh, I had some excess energy and found a good place to put it. One of the ways that, um, I learned to be trustworthy to trust myself had to do with getting uh, what I call a reality check. I had um, such dissonance between what I would see and observe and think and feel and what I was being told that whenever I needed to uh, make a decision, I would, I would uh, call somebody and I would say, this is what I'm seeing. This is the behavior I'm observing. This is the way I'm feeling about that, good or bad. Um, this is what I'm thinking this means because, you know, my brain makes up all kinds of stories and, uh, and then I believe them and then I'm in trouble. And what do you think, you know, and, and talking through each scenario 
uh, like that and getting a reality check. Am I on track or not? Helped me build confidence in my ability to navigate the world uh, without, you know, stepping in a pothole. And that that was so helpful. I just call them reality checks. I'm going to call somebody for a reality check. Yeah, I think that's a really good habit and a good practice in general. Um, that reminded me of a joke that I had heard early on in, in the rooms that I really didn't get at first. And that is, uh, uh, there's a particular woman that I remember who, who said, you know, there are two companies in my head. One of them manufactures BS and the other one buys it. And I thought it was funny and I and I, I got the image, but I didn't really get it. But as you're describing, I, I began to realize as I got more sober, that was in the first few months, um, as as I was on the recovery path longer, I began to become more aware of what is flying around in my head and had opportunities to question it, kind of like you're saying, reality checks. Like, is this is this really what's going on? Is this the only way uh, that there is for me to uh, respond to this situation? And and just being able, I, w- I was not as inclined, I don't think, from what you've described as you were to reach out. I, I, I would reach out and talk to people, but I still... And have a long-standing habit of I'm going to take care of it myself, and 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 that's gotten a lot better over time. But I think at that time I was still, I was still doing it, and um, it just it allowed me to get some perspective on what's going on in my head and make some different choices. You know, awareness is what I'm talking about, I suppose. And awareness, I think, is the starting point for almost every piece of this recovery path and of the spiritual journey. Uh, we don't know where we are, and we can't recognize it. We can't know we want to change something, you know, and so so that's just hugely important. So another thing that was very helpful for me, it's related to the reality check, but it's it's more internal, had to do with inventories. You know, just about every step of the 12-step program, I was asked to do an inventory. Step one, where is my life powerless? Make a list. You know, step one, where is my life unmanageable? Make a list. You know, step two, where am I being resistant? Make a list. You know, so I I had all of these inventories to look at to see, to gauge my progress. You know, and by the time I got to step 10, I'm aware, as you were just mentioning, I'm aware that this is the way I think. I'm aware that this is the way I feel, that that how these feelings show up after I've been thinking that way a while. I'm aware of what my knee-jerk reactions are. And so now I need to, as step 10 says, continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admit it and fix it. And that's, that uh, was key for me because these were not, these were ingrained habits, ways of being that I had to learn to uh, recognize and, and correct. And as we know, they don't all go away overnight, if, if at all, you know, but we, we learn to act and react in a different manner than we did before. Yeah, that's reminding me of doing the next right thing. You know, we have that saying, well, do the next right thing. And I noticed it doesn't say do the next convenient thing or do the next easiest thing to that I can get away with, but do the next right thing. And I noticed that, that one way that trust uh, showed up is that it, it became easier to do the next right thing. I could, I became more trustworthy as I made the decision each time to do the next right thing. I became more trusting of the world. You know, again, it's that, um, it's that uh, bias that we have uh, projecting our own experiences and point of view onto the world that can work for us and against us. And one way it worked 
for me is as I became more willing to uh, determine and do the next right thing, I began to generally to see people also as willing to uh, do the next right thing. So it, it both helped me to become more trustworthy and to trust others at the same time. Another thing that was helpful to me was to recognize when I was not being trustful um, or trustworthy, either one. And that all stems from um, that, that uh, four-letter word, fear. You know, for, for me, that seems to be at the root of um, bad thinking, bad behavior, um, unregulated emotion. You know, all of those all those things seem to stem from my brain's ability to make up stories. You know, future events appear real. That's the acronym that worked for me. I like the slogans and I like the acronyms. And once I would recognize, become aware, as you were mentioning earlier, that that's where my brain was, then I had the power of choice. Because what happens I believe is that emotion, fear, generates chemicals, and and when I when my brain gets foggy with chemicals, I don't think straight. I can't think my way out of fear. Uh, I usually have to, depending on how far it's it's gone, how how much uh, adrenaline I've generated. Um, I I usually need somebody to talk me off the cliff. You know, I need to reach out to somebody else, and I need to recognize that this is not true. This is a future projection on my part, and I need to get back into the moment. And so learning some tools about uh, how to get centered, how to get back in the moment, how to get my feet and my head in the same space uh, has been very helpful. I found that uh, the longer I was in recovery that uh, I no longer sought to avoid all commitments, which was sort of a major uh, focus for me uh, for much of my life and certainly in my um, active addiction. And I think that's partly because of uh, additional energy that I had, but it's also importantly uh, an outcome of trust. And again, both learning to trust others. You know, when I walked into uh, a recovery meeting group, I didn't know any of those people. It's not like I had a a track record with any of them that I could walk in with some level of trust. You know, I walked in uh, completely blind, so to speak. I didn't know any of them. I didn't know anything about um, this whole recovery thing, you know, in that I was, I was probably a month, I was probably a month into recovery when I um, started to go to meetings on, on a regular basis. But one thing that uh, trust helped me with is I no longer sought to avoid commitments, um, and I actually welcomed some. You know, I I took, I I took on some responsibilities in the home group. Some things as simple as chairing a meeting, which fortunately the group made really easy. You literally just had to be willing. You know, put your name on the sheet and then go up and read the binder, you know, one page after another. If you've been to three meetings, you know how this goes. All the words are right there in front of you. And so I became willing to show up and be a part of, you know, later that turned into uh, GSR for a group, treasurer for a group, um, and just, you know, learning to trust the process, began with trust the process, then trust the people who are also following the process, and then uh, become engaged. It all helped to build 
uh, my trust in the community in general, which, uh, just like everything, I, I think this everything goes two ways here. It makes me more trustworthy at the same time. Another piece for me was to pay attention to the feedback that I got from others. It might be my sponsor, but it might be somebody just in the meeting that would make an observation that would blindside me, would catch me off guard, you know, because I have this idea about who I am and how I show up and and it's often better or worse than what what other people see. And so when somebody would make an observation, what I learned was that I could trust the group to tell me the truth, that I could trust that they would just, they don't, you know, sugarcoat it. They go, they would just say, oh, into personalities again, huh? You know, or something like that. I'm going, oh, okay. You know, they could point it out without, um, without being pointed about it, you know, without being hurtful about it. And I would understand that I was straying away from the path and that I needed to, to return to the path. So getting feedback, whether I asked for it or whether I just paid attention to the feedback I got, uh, was very helpful for me. How do I show up? How do, I know how I think I'm showing up. I know how I want to show up, but I don't know how I'm being perceived as showing up. And, you know, another source of that was family. When I'm, you know, at home, that's when you let your guard down, perhaps, and that kind of thing. And somebody would say to me, oh, how when's the last time where you were at a meeting? You know, I, okay, so I'm getting a little short-tempered. Maybe I should just go take a break. <laughs> One way that trust showed up for me uh, is, the, is in the community, uh, like you're sharing about. Um, the recovery community and others, uh, other supports in my life helped me to learn to connect with other people in general. So um, when I got on this recovery path, uh, I was advised at, at some point that I probably wanted to have a handful of supports in my life. One is a, a home group with regular attendance um, at meetings. The uh, second one was to have a sponsor. So I have a personal uh, relationship with someone who's been down the road. Uh, for me, it was important to get into weekly counseling, which I continue to do years and years in. I, I, I don't see ever stopping that. You know, as a minister, as a person uh, on a spiritual growth path, it's just, it's an important piece of it. Like a firefighter going to the gym. Do they have to? No, they don't have to. Is it a good idea? Yeah, it's a really good idea because uh, if you don't, at some point, something could jump up and bite you in the butt. It could be the, you know, the difference between um, staying afloat and getting getting in deep trouble. So it just built up a um, a set of supports, starting and centered on the recovery community. Everything was linked to it, and so th having those things in place helped me again uh, trust the process, trust the people, trust that th that this was real, that that this was working that this can work for me as it's worked for them, that um, I listen and I can tell that the people in the room are speaking honestly, and that helps me to trust them. It helps me to speak honestly and to learn how to do that as a habit, um, you know, almost to the point where it, it, it's like th those of us in recovery, if we were in some discussion group and someone asks, uh, you know, how are you feeling today? I, I have to ask myself, do they really want to know do they want to know the the recovery level answer? Because I got it. I'm ready to. I don't have to think of what it is or figure out how to say it. I got it ready. I just have to decide. You know, is that what they're asking, or, or are they or are they just saying hello? You know, and it's like, oh, I'm I'm doing great. How are you doing? 
Because there's a big difference, you know. I don't I don't want to lay it out. I don't want to start a monologue if someone just really means say hello. But if you know, if your sponsor looks you in the eye and says, "How are you doing?" Th- that's a different question. They they are they want to know. And we need to know ourselves to be able to respond to that. I remember saying fine, and you know that was not the right answer. <laughs> whenever I was, whenever I was asked that question, because it uh, it meant I was not fine. I had to learn to be emotionally honest, as well. You know, but I had to be, I had to get in touch with my own uh, emotions and, and not just my thinking patterns. But I didn't have, but mad or sad was about the two emotions that I thought that I had at that point in time. And so it was a whole learning journey. And I too was in counseling for many, many, many years, and which I'm really glad that you mentioned because in our literature, it talks about how we're only in a spiritual kindergarten in a 12-step program and to make use of the things that others have to offer, whether it's medicine, psychiatry, or religion, that there is a lot to learn out there. And that's really what, what got me started on my unity journey was the idea that there are a lot more spiritual principles than the 12 that I got exposed to in the in the uh, 12-step program, and that I could make even better improvements in my life if I would be willing to learn more about those. And so another thing that helped me become more trustworthy and to trust others was to learn to recognize these spiritual principles uh, in operation and to use them, learn how to use them. And you mentioned the 12 powers earlier, you know, and then there's the five unity principles. Each of those have a whole set of things that go with those, I learned, um, you know, in order how to incorporate those in my life. Unity principles also really caught my eye. And now I, I had encountered unity before I got into recovery, but it, it's it's like, it's as if that being in recovery, all of a sudden the principles they became more important. They became more alive. I really kind of began to get it. Uh, they weren't just uh, nice ideas. They became, you know, life-saving concepts and, and ways of being. So the, the unity principles really caught my attention and showed me how to, how to create the life that I wanted to live. Um, that's one thing I appreciate about our movement is that, um, you know, in addition to uh, a God concept that that works for me in addition to, you know, reverence for life and connectedness among all people. It's all, we're not, we're not shy about um, saying, you know, you can, you can create with God, co-create the life that you want to live. And that's okay. You know, it's okay to have a good life. It's okay to be able to envision and participate in the life that you want to see. You know, and I think those those principles were key for me because my my first part of the journey was to move away from things, move away from being dishonest, move away from feeling hopeless, move away from having new, no faith, that type of thing. And it and it uh, the tools of unity gave me the ability to move toward, gave me the tools that I needed in order to to make conscious choices, conscious intentional choices in the direction that I wanted to go. Yeah, so let's talk now about some of those tools. Let's move into action. As Unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths. We must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to become more reliable and more willing to rely on others using the spiritual principle of trust. Think of a way in which you may be dropping the ball still. Are there situations at work where you could be more reliable Can your family members count on you to do what you said you would do? Or perhaps you want to learn to be less skeptical and trust others more when appropriate. 
What's important is to pick one thing, preferably something simple to focus on in this exercise. The idea is to relax and to just let it be easy. And you can take what you learn here today into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose in order to find a place of peace. So let's use the example of becoming a more reliable family member or coworker. Use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to mistakes you may have made in the past. You could say something like, my past mistakes do not define me. Repeat it a few times in your head or even say it aloud, but say it with conviction. My past mistakes do not define me. And follow that up immediately with a bold, positive affirmation of a new experience. You could say, divine wisdom guides my choices. I am a reliable partner. And then take a deep breath and a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. Again, my past mistakes do not define me. Divine wisdom guides my choices. I am a reliable partner. So we've come to the end of our time together here today. We hope you found something that will help you on your recovery path, and we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to our listeners, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for all the insights that were shared in our discussion today. Listeners, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. We would love to hear from you. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.